What does it mean to be all things to all people? Well, if you've spent any time in Christianity, you've probably heard that phrase, all things to all people. Maybe you use it, maybe you used to use it, and there's certainly a wide range of definition that people want to give to that phrase. Um, just to build the context a little bit, you find it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, where Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So there's a salvation uh, kind of uh, dynamic or paradigm uh, around that idea of being all things to all people. Uh, that, that is to say it's about reaching people or it's evangelistic in nature. Um, you can kind of take that and run from it uh, after establishing that, and people certainly have. Uh, to um, kind of validate a whole wide range of things that, that they do or don't do. Um, understanding the context is really important, though, uh, because this is really living in that ebb and flow of Christian freedom and Christian responsibility. Uh, we don't want to veer too far on one side or the other because then we drift into either legalism or we drift into antinomianism, which is the opposite of legalism. No laws at all, anti-law entirely, which is really lawlessness, it's sin. Um, so Paul says this, it's really fascinating. Um, the way he sets up his rationale in that whole little section of chapter 9, uh, verses 19 through 23, is by prefacing it, um, at the tail end of a previous argument he's made uh, by saying this, nevertheless, this is in verse number 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So it's interesting that being all things to all people has actually more to do with not being a stumbling block to the gospel itself even before it has to do with being a stumbling block to the hearer of the gospel. So what Paul's interested in here is the validity and the honor of the gospel, the actual message. Only then, by honoring and upholding the message, can you then honor and uphold the hearer of the message. Now, we normally drift away from... Um, anything to do with the message itself and care just about the hearer. I just want to do anything for the hearer. I want to do anything so the hearer uh, will receive the message. But if we've compromised the message in order that the hearer receives the message, the message that the hearer is hearing and receiving isn't the gospel. It's some kind of compromised version of it, which of course is no gospel at all. So that's really important as well. So Paul is building this rationale for ministry. Um, because the Corinthians, if you look at this book as a whole, they struggle with partiality. They struggle with drifting too far on one side or the other. So Paul talks to them about their partiality related to leadership. You see this in chapter 1. Their partiality related to their understanding of wisdom. You see this in chapter 3. And their partiality related to what side somebody lands on the issue of celibacy, whether they want to promote singleness or married life as more beneficial. You see that in chapter 7. And then this resurfaces now in chapter 9, uh, specifically with their issue of uh, leadership and a partiality of leadership. What Paul does here 
in his uh, words in chapter 9 is he actually gives his own life as a ministry model um, in order to demonstrate what it means to have all the freedoms in the world but not make use of them as entitlements uh, so that they don't become obstacles in the way of the gospel. So you think about this like from a contemporary standpoint. This really sets Christianity as an, an antithesis to secular uh, structures of leadership because in the secular structures, the highest positions experience the highest privileges. Now, obviously, there have been so many distortions of Christian leadership in uh, what's posited as Christianity to the world. Um, that That is really the understanding. You have these kind of billboard success figures in prosperity gospel teaching where you're not even allowed to approach them because they have bodyguards, they have a private jet. Um, they are really the corporate CEO identity, which is all about entitlement. It's not about any form of down-to-earth relatability. It's all about privilege. Um, you see this again and again in Christianity. You also see it in terms of what's understood as what uh, faithful um, Christians should be able to have. And of course, you not only see that in the kind of prosperity gospel teaching, but you see it in the way that people make use of comforts. This is really more so in the celebrity uh, dynamic of Christianity. Um, and you really are seeing in uh, this era that we live in, you are seeing the demise of the celebrity Christian. And the reason for that is because a lot of them are either coming out now as atheists or they have some kind of wild scandal. And in my opinion, maybe it's not worse today than it's been before, but because social media is uh, so prevalent, we're hearing about just about uh, two or three or four times as many of them because you can't keep things hush-hush anymore. So you're seeing the collapse of all of these celebrity Christians because of some kind of sexual sin or some kind of unethical thing that's happened. Uh, so what Paul says here is he's interested for the Christian to never compromise the glory of Christ for comforts. Never compromise the Christian freedoms we have in the name of entitlements. Because what happens 10 times out of 10 is we end up compromising the message. We end up compromising the gospel itself. Um, so Paul says we have to be a servant to all. And you don't see this in the world. You see Christianity trying to position itself as just a different variety of what you already have in the world in terms of business structure, uh, the CEO model of pastors, the celebrity ooh and awe of uh, Christian like thought leaders and those kind of things. Um, even YouTube people. Uh, certainly you don't see that for me because uh, my following is not nearly as large as some of the others. Uh, but you have people who are thought leaders in Christianity on YouTube uh, making a lot of money to put their videos up. And there comes a responsibility to not fall into uh, the trap of just doing whatever works to make money on your channel and end up compromising the message. But unfortunately, a lot of people do that. So Paul wants us to understand that being all things to all people actually has to do 
withstanding for the faithfulness of the gospel. Whereas people, ironically, when they use this phrase a lot of times, say that being all things to all people actually has to do with compromising the message. Um, the name of the game is people over the uh, message, where Paul says the only way to honor and reach people is by never compromising the message at any turn. So just to read that in the fuller context, here's what Paul says, picking it up in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the new law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So, again, the name of the game for Paul is certainly evangelism. It's certainly about reaching people. But it's interesting that his preface for what it means to be all things to all people is having to do with honoring the message. So think about the message as being in a um, preservation chamber. Let's say, oh, I don't know, a Ziploc bag, um, a double-sealed Ziploc bag, uh, just to use a more emphatic example here. And if we take it into a hostile environment, um, it might look very peculiar to that hostile environment because the people have never seen or really laid eyes on whatever it is that's in that Ziploc bag, that double-sealed Ziploc bag. Um, But if you want to take it out so that it can be more relatable to them, let them touch it, let them handle it. If they don't like the way it's shaped, just take some pieces off of what's in there, reshape it, restructure it to fit. Well, you might make it more relatable, you might make it more appealing to those people, but then you have um, compromised it, you have infected it, you have now made it perishable, you've made it no longer what it was because you've failed to preserve it. You might have reached a lot of people with it, but you've reached them with a message that cannot be sustained because you have um, violated it. And that might be a poor example, but again, the analogy that Paul has here is we only love people enough if we tell them the truth. And if we compromise the truth in the name of loving people, we might be all things to all people, but we can't, according to Paul, by all means save some because we won't have the saving message any longer to save them. We'll only have a rendered down message that is more appealing but has no benefit. When I think about buying rice or buying flour from the store, um, maybe you are aware of the fact that you now can, as a novelty almost, buy unbleached flour or unbleached rice. We're used to seeing rice and bread as white, but that's not the natural color of those things. It's more appealing to us, it's more relatable to us, but in fact, that bleaching process has just about killed off any nutritional value of that rice or of that bread, that flour, um, 
But you can go to the store. You might not know this. You have to pay extra for it. Um, and you can buy unbleached flour or brown rice, which is simply unbleached rice. It's foreign. It's strange because it's not what we're familiar to. But it actually has way more nutritional value because it hasn't been messed with. And that's really the name of the game here. It does happen that people will hear our message, even if it's preached 100% faithfully, if it's lived faithfully in our own lives, and reject it, not want anything to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean there's a problem with the message. We need to go tweak the message in order to be all things to all people. It means instead that salvation is of the Lord. Paul says here that being all things to all people is, by all means I might save some and not all. And even the word might is used. Now what Paul is not saying here is that it's all about a hope and a prayer and who knows what's going to happen. We'll just, you know, cross our fingers and hope for the best. But what he's really getting at is we have a responsibility under the law of Christ to live in response to the gospel of Christ. But at the end of the day, it is God who saves. It is God who draws all people to himself. But because he's called us to be his ambassadors, being all things to all people means actually having a message of truth that's been preserved for them, a message of salvation. And we leave God to be the one who saves, the only one who can save. So being all things to all people, hopefully you have a better dynamic. I haven't talked about meat or alcohol or any of the hot button issues of that phrase. I've really just given Paul's guiding principle uh, for the things that he talks about later in 1 Corinthians, including drink and meat. But this is really the great preface of being all things to all people. It's not about total freedom to the point of legalism. It's not about total uh, abstaining from this to the point of legalism, but it's about preserving the message itself.